I'm Billy Groom, your host of Effective Animal Advocacy on All About Animals Radio. Today, my guest is Mary Schwager, also known as Watchdog Mary. Mary has been involved in journalism, investigative journalism, and reporting for decades, and she has turned her focus over to animal welfare, which we're very happy about. She has been featured in Huffington Post and many other publications, as well as on shows. She's quite renowned. So we're happy that she is bringing her skills over to animal welfare. She currently writes for Dogster Magazine, Catster Magazine. Mary and I are going to be discussing the shelter system, and she's going to be providing some tips and advice and suggestions for you to become involved in the shelter system in your community and how you can help. So thanks so much for joining us, Mary. Well, and thank you so much for having me, Billy. Thanks so much for joining us. This is just going to be such a great talk because you are just so knowledgeable and interesting and just really great hands-on. You are grassroots. So tell us about what we're going to talk about today. Great. Yeah, of course. So one of my favorite topics to talk about is how to be your own pet detective in your community. And well, that goes with you that. being an investigator. So that's yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and it's really not that difficult. And no matter where you live in this world, um, you know, you hear the staggering statistics, you know, in the United States alone, you hear about millions of animals every year are relinquished or end up in animal shelters, you know, across the country. Um, you know, millions of animals are also euthanized many times in these shelters for space yeah. reasons. Um, and, and that's really terrible. And, and the same types of situations, you know, happen in other countries as well. And um, so you hear these staggering statistics and sometimes you hear the sad stories or these overwhelming numbers or, you know, the sad kinds of like, you know, Sarah McLaughlin song playing in the background commercials. And, you know, you can donate $5 a month. And of course, animal rescues and nonprofits always need people's donations. But if you want to help, you know, put a dent in those staggering numbers that you hear of animals who end up in shelters, the best thing you can do is go hyper, hyper local and find out mm. what is going on in your community. Because most likely, depending on where you live, you know, your city or town, your county, your municipality, your parish or whatever your local government is, has some sort of animal sheltering system. And a lot of times, you know, there's private nonprofit rescues and shelters. And then there's the municipal shelters like AKA the pound, you know, the animal control facilities where they pick up strays or sometimes owners relinquish or surrender their animals. And what you need to do, if you kind of want to make a dent in, in figuring out how you can help in this massive problem, is you need to find out what goes on in your community shelter. So, and, and that's easy. If, if, if it's a public shelter, they should tell you if you ask, if you start asking questions like how many dogs and cats, you know, come into this facility each year. And then you need to know the numbers of animals going in and the numbers of animals going out and how they go out. You need to ask them of the dogs and cats that come into your shelter, how many are adopted? How many are returned to their owners if they're picked up as a stray? 
Um, you know, and how many are, you know, go to rescue groups, uh, might go to other rescue partners or might go to fosters and how many are euthanized? And of the ones that are euthanized, why? Were they incredibly sick? Um, did the shelter, you know, deem them terribly aggressive? And that's a whole nother topic about shelter evaluations and scared animals. Or was it for space reasons? You know, where the reason the animals were euthanized is because they didn't have enough kennels or they didn't have enough crates. And so those types of things are what it's, it's vital for you to find out. And if it's a, you know, a municipally run or a county or a government run facility, and most countries, and this is applicable in the U.S., there are public records laws, and that gives you the right to go in and to ask these questions. You, know, you can send in an email as a public records request and, you know, simply request this. You don't need to be a lawyer. You don't need to know how to, you know, the ins and outs of government to do this. But a simple email request should suffice. And if they don't tell you the answers, you know, that's a red flag, you know, depending on the answers you get back, there could be, you know, you could look at it and say like, oh, my, my local shelter is doing really, really great. You know, they're adopting out, you know, almost, you know, every animal that's coming in here, you know, or you might have a shelter where you look at the numbers and you think, oh my gosh, you know, that's a lot of animals that are euthanized. And that brings up again, that the topic of why? Why are they euthanized? And if it's for space reasons, then you know you have a problem. And whatever results you find out, especially if it's something alarming, that's when you can be a catalyst for change. You know, if you find out, for example, that your shelter is euthanizing many animals for space reasons, you can go in and start talking to them and understand more about the system. You can go to the local governmental meetings and you know speak before the town council or the city council or the county council or whatever, however the government is structured in whichever country you're in. And you can say, hey, you know, I went in and here are the numbers and this is alarming and we need to raise some awareness about this. You know, you need to wave the flag and say our local shelter needs help. And, and that's the, you know, that's the first steps is trying to figure out if there is an issue. And then the second step is, is revealing it. Right. Okay. So there's a few things going through my head right now. That was really good information. It was certainly motivating and inspirational how realistic it is. Ah, I think that, I think there's some, some flags going up on that, but the one thing that really stood out in my mind that I want to talk about is that term space, space. I did an article on this actually. Okay. When they say it, it, it's like when somebody surrenders a dog because the dog you know, they can no longer keep the dog or they don't have enough time or they don't have the, the shelters and have enough space. That is a really, I don't know the exact word I'm trying to think of. I can't remember the word I used in the, in the article, but it's a very elusive term in the sense that why don't they have enough space? Why don't they have enough time? So it's, it's not, they, they make it, they almost make it sound like that is a justifiable reason for euthanasia. When in actual fact, when they say we don't have enough space, that's because they're either not adopting out the dogs at a fast enough pace, they don't have an effective foster program, 
Space mm-hmm. itself isn't an issue. There's a reason why those dogs aren't being adopted. That's behavioral or health. And then you also have the people surrendering. So when they say we don't have time, well, if you have to walk your dog separately from playing with your children and you can't take the dog to the park and you can't take your dog uh, camping. So then you have to put your dog in a shelter, but your dog's not good in a shelter and you can't get a sitter because your dog doesn't like, you know, so really when you have these sort of generic justifications that actually have a line on statistics space, really, what does that mean? I mean, that's really the thing that goes into people's head. Well, build more space. No, that that's not the solution. The solution is why are there so many coming in and not going out fast enough that there's that there's not the space. So that's a really, I think that just in itself, that topic right there would need to be dissected into the individual shelters that the people are, are going to and, and saying, you know, getting these stats that you're talking about and getting these numbers, because to me, that one is just very, it's kind of like a catch-all. Well, you know, there's um, something in the United States that's really catching on called like the, the no-kill movement. And well, yeah, that's a whole other topic. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Before we get into that one. Wait, wait, but it has wait. to do with, spe- you know, euthanizing animals and shelters because they claim they're full, which, you know, the no kill movement would say like, no, no, no. Uh, you know, if you're a no kill shelter, you should not euthanize any animal just because you're full. And that's the space reason behind right, it. And they, they need to, I think, dive more into what is meant on space. You know, is it health issues? Is it why are those dogs there for a long, long time? Commonly, it's behavior, a lot of it, um, or the reason why the dog is returned or not adopted out. Um, they just they have so many dogs coming in. Why do they have these dogs coming in? So I think this is where you were going with your whole like, we need to look into these stats and really dissect them. Uh, so that obviously, in order to get solutions and the right solutions for the individual shelters, we need to know where their their numbers are and where they're they're sitting and where their problem or pain points are, which could vary by location, could vary oh, by absolutely. population. Absolutely. There could be just lots of de- weather. <laughs> Here I am up in Canada. You know, weather is going to affect you know different seasons, like it does with everything. You know, so there's a lot of different um, variables that people are going to run into differently depending on where they live and how the shelters run, how big the shelter is, how population of their area, how dog friendly their city is. Some cities are just simply more dog friendly than others. So therefore they have more dogs and they might have more fosters and they have might have more programs and, and therefore the rotation goes through faster. So there's a lot of different factors. Getting those stats. I want to get back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I have to, I have to question how easy it is for some places to, they don't even have to, um, a lot, some of those shelters <laughs> are not even required to have or present or share those stats, even though they're, they are somewhat under government, they're not necessarily required. And then, 
Well, if it's a municipal shelter, or, you know, if it's a government shelter, they um, in the United States, at least, and I would imagine that there are similar laws in Canada and in, you know, the UK, um, you absolutely it's called, you know, it's under the Federal Freedom of Information Act. And you definitely have a, a right to make those requests um you know locally it's called a, a public records request and um you absolutely have the right to ask a government run shelter for those numbers and they should give you an answer and quite frankly any shelter whether it's public or private if they don't provide those numbers like that's a red flag in itself mm -hmm. that should have you asking questions so if you absolutely can't get those numbers that's a, that's another flag that you should wave is this and I that's asked good to know number. like you can you can get those numbers you're probably you might make a wave doing that you might create uh issues that it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to like but you can get those numbers now in Canada um we have Humane Canada and Humane Canada is separate from Humane Society and SPCA, mm -hmm. but they sort of, they collect this data, but the Humane Society and the SPCA are not required to provide it to them. And they're not required to fill out every single part of the questionnaire so they could fill out some parts but not other parts and some could and some couldn't we do have the stats on how many do report it and how many report what part but they're not forced to do so but what you said is a very good point you do have the right to get those they don't they're not obligated to report it on humane canada's stats but you're right we do have the right to go in and, and that's a really important point. Yes, no, no, you know, is Humane Canada, what, what, tell me a bit about what that is. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with it. Is that a shelter or an, or an organization? No, it's an organization. It's okay. an organization that. It's trying it's to make a difference. Because how they portray themselves is a little bit. Well, I don't want to get into it too much because it's yeah, yeah. I just wasn't sure if that was a government have, agency or not. It yeah. is, and it's sort of it doesn't oversee SPCA and Humane Society, but it incorporates the two of them and incorporates both of them and creates programs and and um, it works hand in hand with them and also addresses our animal welfare issues. Got it. Well, I mean, yeah. whatever, whatever shelter, you know, that you have a question about or the shelter in your community, you know, you should absolutely ask, you know, go, you know, send an email and ask, you know, go down there and talk to them. I mean, it, it doesn't take long to, you know, send an email to someone, um, you know, asking those kinds of questions, you know, the total number of, you know, animals in the the number of animals out and you know just basically it's the number of animals in and the dispositions of of them you know and the numbers and then you know a lot of you know the, the bar that they're trying to get you know raised in the in the U.S. for no kill is like something like ninety percent or more um, 
uh, live release rate, meaning that the animals go out to a foster adopter, a rescue group, you know, and and not euthanized. And so, you know, I mean, it, once you get the numbers, you can kind of tell what's alarming, you know, um, you know, if far more animals are being killed than are adopted or go to fosters or rescues, you know, that that's a red flag. And you know, as I mentioned before, if if a shelter does not give you the numbers, whether they're public or private, you know, that's another red flag, you know, that, that would lead you to ask a whole nother set of questions. But, you know, if you want to make a dent in animal welfare, you know, definitely find out what's going on in your community shelter, because that is, you know, one type of um area that you can laser focus on and it's right in your backyard. You know, you can go down there and talk to them. You know, if if you find out that there is an issue, you can offer to volunteer. Do they need, you know, people and volunteers to take pictures of the animals, to write up cute bios and post them on social media or websites? You know, there might be, you know, a dozen ways that you can get involved get your neighbors to get involved, um, you know, just spread the word because, um, I mean, so many animals are saved because people post their bios on social media or say, um, you know, red flag this dog has until five o'clock today in this shelter, you know, who can save this dog? I mean, I see the posts all the time and, and that kind of awareness and people going down and taking videos and pictures of the animals in need, like literally, saves their lives. It's it's really it amazing. Does. It does. What I see that, volunteer that with like boots on the ground can do. I I see that happening in in the states. Uh, a lot of it has to do with legislation that was passed where I uh you know, the year but fairly recently relatively speaking in California where the shelters uh, cannot euthanize a dog that has one of the rescues or a person or a, a you know, a, a registered rescue or adopter has expressed an interest in taking that dog, which is a great law. So that has made a dramatic difference because people now feel like it's really worth their time and the ability to to post and to get awareness of each individual dog and get it out there. Because if there's any amount of interest they can't legally euthanize the dog. So I think that legislation not only saves dogs' lives, but also inspires people to do exactly that because all they need is that little bit of somebody saying, yeah, I, I can take that dog, you know, or our rescue can take that dog. I'm not sure exactly. I think it has to be a, a, an adopter that has... Yeah, I don't I don't know the specifics of it. But you know, even, you know, in Texas for I volunteer in animal rescue. And um, uh, I'm in the uh, for you for those of you familiar with that, you know, the US, I'm in the New England area. And, um, you know, in the northern states, we kind of have less um, of an animal yeah. overpopulation problem than in a lot of the southern states in the, in the U.S. And, um, you know, people going into uh, shelters and taking the videos and the pictures, you know, grassroots efforts, like super, super local, super yeah. grassroots, you know, taking them. I work closely with this. them, too. Yeah. yeah. And, and it does. You can dog. see it working. Yeah. It totally does. Yeah. It yeah. works. Um, What's interesting is that it's become a thing where these shelters actually almost rely on them now. 
It's like, mm-hmm. here's the list of who's going to be euthanized yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Here's the 25 dogs. And then everyone runs around panicking yep. and crazy. Yep. Then yeah. their whole entire yeah. days. It's so much work and so much effort, but these dogs do get saved. Those then people are the saving time. animals' lives. They really yes, are. They are. The problem needs to be addressed. The the real and that's where your legislation comes in. And that's where people are going to exactly what you just said earlier, where you can go to your local government and present those stats and say, mm-hmm. did you or a lot of times they just don't even know. Do you know that this is happening? Yep. Yep. You know? yep exactly. Um, exactly. Now for, for Canada here it it's not, we don't, you don't see that as much posting and you don't have, um, now I shouldn't speak for everywhere just because I'm in Canada doesn't mean I know what's going on all across Canada. Of course I don't. Yeah. Um, but it's not as common as it, as I've seen, or maybe I'm exposed to in California and Texas where they are posting these and, and it's, it's frantic and it's successful. <laughs> Uh, so they're not not doing it as much but not I I, it's not so much because of lack of knowledge or education or inspiration or motivation it's more the the shelters are not that they they are not as transparent. And I think the transparency still lacks everywhere. There's just a lack of transparency and you can go knock on their door and and they'll just, just say no and just not want to talk, not want to discuss, not want to, whether they legally have to or not, they, they certainly are not legally required to be open to any solutions, suggestions, help that they legally have to provide the information. Yes. I, I, I don't know. And I'm, I'm sort of trying to cover all angles here because you're very familiar with certain areas that you're in and that you've really been working with and those solutions have been helping. So to sort of bring this a little more global, I, I'm not sure that that would be, I mean, you can always go in there, but I think a lot of the people who volunteer at these shelters, uh, sometimes people they're a little bit not as open to making waves as you and I are, Mary, <laughs> as wow. saying, you know, and some of the people that are these grassroots advocates. And, and you're right. I mean, everybody can make a difference on a level that's comfortable for them and what they can do. And so if they if they volunteered there and asked if they could post these dogs that are going to be euthanized or post these dogs that have even been in the shelter for a long time. Mm-hmm. What is a long time for some shelters, you know, three months, six months, a year, two years, three years. Can we, can we post these dogs? Ask them, ask them, say, mm-hmm. say, can we? A lot of times they will say, no, we don't want different people posting different dogs. We only want it on ours. And that way we know what's being said about the dog and what's, you can share our posts, but you can't create your own posts. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that might come up. So there's a lot of, there, there can be a lot of barriers, but there can be a lot of ways of working around those as well by making those connections. 
Yeah. And going back to what you said is if, you know, if somebody decides to go try to find out the numbers or find out the conditions or what's going on in their local shelters and they, and they find something they think is a red flag, but let's say that they don't want to be the one that makes a stink about it. or They don't want to be the one that goes before the local, you know, town, city, you know, county, municipal council that says, hey, you know, I want to speak. And, you know, because most places that we're talking about are democracies and they have the, you know, the the government forums where the the residents, you know, can speak and address them. You know what, if you find out the numbers and they're alarming, but you don't want to be the squeaky wheel, you know, find somebody who will be, you know, or take the numbers to a journalist in your town, even at the local paper or the, the local TV station and just say, hey, you know, have, you know, talk, you know, email one of the editors of the local paper or, you know, you know, the television station or the radio and say, hey, you know, I looked into this and I found out X, Y, and Z. It's kind of concerning. Like, you know, I'd be happy to share my findings with you if you'd be interested in pursuing a story, you know, talk to a journalist, you know, anything that's new that they haven't thought of, you're like, oh, I mean, you know, I'm a journalist. And so if someone comes to me with an interesting tidbit, I'm eager to say, whoa, I never even thought about looking into that. Like, thank you. And let them go do the story or find somebody, you know, maybe your neighbor um, has a lot of gumption. You know, maybe, you know, she likes being involved. Maybe your next door neighbor is like a town council member, you know, or on the city council, you know, bring it to them, find somebody who is, you know, outgoing and wants to do this and provide them with the inter, you know, with, with the information, Um, you know, make a social media post even, you know, I requested these numbers, you know, take a picture of it, you know, what, what do you all think? And then, you know, make it public and then people can share it and say their thoughts and, you know, it might get some traction. So you don't necessarily have to be the one that is, you know, the public face to something if you find it concerning. But if you can, you know, give the information, you know, that, of course, the journalist could probably, you know, needs to verify on their own. But, you know, if you give the information and, and, you know, backing up, finding out the information, that's, you know, how you can really make a difference. But you don't have to be the one that's, you know, jumping up and down and, and waving the flag, but get that information to somebody that can. And, and this reminds me actually what you said earlier, right back to the beginning of what you said about how there's ta- shows, whether it's commercials or shows or, or you know, celebrities and, and musicians talking about, you know, give your $5 a day. So a lot of times I find when I'm, you know, CBC, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, so our major, uh, is hand in hand with the shelters they are very close they're always when i say always you know regularly you'll see shows on uh, or news flashes on you know the shelters overpopulated or they they need or they'll be interviewing someone from the shelter who works at the shelter about the you know and these are to generate funds it's to generate funds and to maybe increase adoption for a week or for an event or something like that. But would they really take that step to, to say, yes, we, we have the shelter, 
that is admitting that they're currently going through a problem. So that shelter automatically runs to, to the, the local news station to get this publicity. But when these people are coming to these news forums and saying, hey, I've got these stats, what's going on here? We don't even know. I don't think you're, I know where I am, your average person wouldn't know. So, so this is why I love having you on because I know for sure in my small city, the, the average person doesn't know how many animals are euthanized in our shelters. So would they actually come out and do a story on that? Because they are very connected. They are, they are very connected politically. Uh, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I've, I think they would, you know, I've worked at TV stations across the country and, you know, just because you've done stories with an organization doesn't mean that you, you, you know, as a journalist, you're objective. And so, you know, even if you've done stories, you know, with an organization, no matter what it is, you know, if you find out numbers that are concerning, you know, you would go to them and say, you know, what's going on here? You know, are, are these numbers correct? And if they say, you know what, oh my goodness, it is, and we actually need help, then, you know, that's a great story. So, um, you know, ab absolutely. Um, I, you know, I think you know, most journalists, um, you know, and uh, a lot of news outlets w would do that, you know. So I, I don't think the the relationship of the, you know, the adopt the shelters and clear the shelters and, you know, we're going to feature a mm. shelter dog on our newscast or, you know, the pet of the week. I don't think that that would ever exclude, um, you know, a, a news outlet doing a story saying, um, you know, Jane found out that they're, you know, killing all these animals at the shelter, you know, what's going on? Mm. Yeah, and you would know you're in it. I mean, I'm, again, we're talking to people all over the world, but yeah, yeah, it is, it, the media is so powerful and so interesting. And like you say, if they can get a different angle on something that they, is a, a general topic that they know is popular animals, saving animals, animal rescue and, and shelters and, and local what's going on and what you can do if it's a different twist on it. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe, you know, the shelter will say, you know, we've got to pass some spay neuter laws or we need to make spaying and neutering pets easier and more affordable to people. You know, here's what our problem is, um, you know, and, 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 you know, that can be a different road. You know, the, you know, how can you stop the animals from having to go into the shelters, you know, unwanted litters and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, th there's a, a lot of really interesting um, tidbits that you can find out from a shelter, um, you know, if, if you do find out that they have some concerning numbers, maybe they need the volunteers, maybe they do need the extra space and they need a, a new wing built or, you know, but it's it's when you raise the question and, and ask about it, you know, they, they call them like sunshine laws for a reason, you know, the public records laws. But when you find out something and ask them, um, you know, sometimes amazing things can happen. You know, stories I've done have resulted in bills getting filed, um, you know, uh, to to change the laws. And, you know, some have passed. And, and that's just like an amazing feeling because, you know, what an email that someone sent to a, you know, I mean, a government agency about, you know, the, the number of animals in and out and why that you give to a reporter could spark an amazing story and an amazing turnaround. 
One of the reasons I um, I had been doing consumer and investigative reporting for all of my career, and one of the reasons I started writing more and more about animals is I had a couple of national consumer columns I was writing, and uh, I had a website and people could email me tips. And um, a woman, Jen White from San Antonio, Texas, emailed me and she said, if you want a story, you should look into how many dogs San Antonio Animal Care Services is killing each year. And I thought, what? And she said, you know, it, it's thousands. And um, I'm like, that that can't be. You know, I live in the northern part of the United States, which you know, there aren't as many animals in shelters for a, a whole number of reasons. But, um, and I looked at San Antonio's numbers and I was shocked. And, I, you know, I wrote a series of articles um, about the shelter and their practices and things like that. And then, you know, the floodgates open. What about this place and this place and this place? And then I got involved in animal rescue and helping rescue groups. And so just from that one woman's email, it changed kind of the course of what I write about and and my involvement and my and my volunteer work as well from one email. So anybody who's listening to this, you know, your one email to someone or to a journalist or to someone who can make a difference can completely change the world. So, you know, don't be afraid to do that. Yes, information is key. Education is key. Yeah. key. And it's sometimes interesting what we think people know, but they don't know. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Cause you never looked. And that's why it's so important to find out what goes on in your community. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting relationships. You brought this up where you touched on this, the relationships between the rescue organizations and the shelters as well. And sometimes you know, they, they need to keep those positive relationships because, uh, they, well, in a lot of places, the, the shelters will support the rescue organizations by providing them with a lot of food and other resources, that type of thing. But on the same note, then the rescue organizations are taking some of these dogs from them as well when they have... The, they don't have physical space because um, a lot of the rescues used are foster based, mm -hmm. but they have the ability to take these, these dogs. So they have a positive working relationship mm -hmm. and that, that can be, you know, obviously overall for the animals, that's positive and that's good, but it could also prevent them from wanting to dive in too deep or to know too much or, um, you know, they have to be careful on, and mostly a lot of them are volunteers as well, right? Mm -hmm. On the rescues, on the rescue side of things. So they want to do what's best for the animal in that moment. So if, if you're outside of both of those realms, then maybe that pre pre presents, excuse me, presents an opportunity for you to talk to both sides and see how that works and see how that connection is. So for me, that's what I, I mean, I do a lot with independent rescues. Yeah. And I learn a lot about the shelter system from the independent rescues. One thing when we're talking about stats, this is where I was going with this, where we're talking about stats is uh, you can get the stats on where the dogs leave the shelter. So are they going to a rescue? Are they adopted? Or are they in a foster? Or did they get euthanized? Somehow they left that shelter. So you can get those stats. They don't follow down the line where those go. 
So for me, I work a lot with pet parents and fosters who have these dogs from the shelters. And because we work together, these dogs aren't going back to the rescue and they're not going back to the shelter, but the rescue and the shelter never know that. And, they, and these are hundreds a year and, and they don't know that. So, so that's a stat that um, from what I can find out in the States and UK and Canada, it's not a common stat. They don't follow the dog down the line. I mean, they care. They might do a follow-up with the adopter in general, you know, that type of thing. If the dog comes back, they obviously have that stat. But if the dog doesn't come back, um, they don't always know if the person maybe gave the dog up to a, a different shelter or a different rescue. So that's, that's yeah. you know, something that could be looked into more or some solutions on that end. And that would be a great an absolutely great position for someone who has some time and some people skills to work with a local rescue and be that person that follows up with the dog once that dog's adopted, because that's time. And, you know, when you're talking about foster and you're talking about volunteers and organizations that are run with volunteers, that would be a phenomenal position for some people to have. And then you'd learn a lot about what's going on and where these dogs are. So it was just one example of yeah, where you can yeah. be a part of it, where you're not actually working with the dog. I actually work with the dog, but, but if you were that person that just did the follow-ups and yeah. see how the people are doing and what they did and did they end up going and doing, and not to be nosy, not to be, you know, if you're a people person. Yeah. You know, yeah. You can get you know, these answers. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of the the shelters that, you know, the, hopefully the good shelters um, create rescue partnerships with rescues they think are good and reputable and do a good job. You know, some of the shelters to be a rescue partner, to be able to take animals from the shelter, you know, you have to provide them with a lot of information. You know, some of them require, you know, of course, proof of like a nonprofit status, but they require letters of references from vets. You know, they want to know your, you know, your rescues numbers. And, but some of the rescues I know, including one that I volunteer for, they do follow-ups um, with their adopters at certain increments, like one month, three months, six months. And they also, um, they do that to make sure everything's going okay, but they also want to nip in the bud if they're and you'll love this if there's any behavior problems because they want to say like hey 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 okay if he's you know play biting with the kids you know this is when you need to get a trainer you know you don't want this to escalate you don't want him biting the neighbor's kid and you know and then you know the dog's returned or or that kind of situation and some of the rescues also have language in their contracts that say if you know for any reason you can't keep this dog or cat you need to contact us and you know and we need to talk about this and so some of the you know the reputable rescues do those follow ups and then you know should the person and not be able to keep the dog for, you know, a, a myriad of reasons, they have to go back to the rescue rather than turning the dog into a shelter. You know, now, now does every single adopter do that? You know, there's been cases where, you know, the dogs have turned up in shelters, but if they're microchipped, the shelter usually, um, you know, 
reads their chip and sees the rescues a backup contact and contacts the rescue and says, Hey, you know, one of your dogs just turned up here. And then the rescue goes, has a heart attack. Scrambles <laughs> 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 to, to find out, you know, what happened. Um, so yeah, they can't know, always, they're not always there to take that dog. That's a, a bit of an, yeah. it, sorry to interrupt there, but that is, it's hard for the, their independent rescues to say, you know, if you're going to, you have to call us if you're going to give up the dog because often they don't have anywhere for that dog to go. <laughs> you know, yeah, they, yeah. they prefer to have a solution. They prefer to say, Hey, what is going on? What's the issue? Yeah. Why are you having to give? And that gets back yeah. to space. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Would really training help or yeah, let's exactly. help you with the, yeah. Or, you know, you know, it can be everything from someone got a divorce and they have to move to exactly. behavior yeah. or medical conditions. And, you know, a lot of them will offer to, you know, help, the, you know, before they, the, you know, they take the dog back, they might say like, would well, you, you know, do you want the dog still? Do you love them? Let's look at solutions. And, you know, sometimes people just, you know, don't know the solution and they reach yeah. their wits end and they think that's it. You know, I don't have any other choice, but you know, the, the group sometimes talk to them and said, you know, you do have some choices and let us help you with that. You know, if they yeah. know it's a loving, caring person. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly, I think where we're starting to get to with this, because even the shelters with just being so overloaded and the rescues being so overloaded, they're starting to say, we need to talk to these people a little bit more and find out instead of just taking the dog and then blaming them or saying they're terrible or they didn't have patience or they didn't have this. Maybe they do care. Maybe they would prefer. Maybe they have tried. We don't know. Yeah. And so, again, we're getting back to those stats there, which are, you know, I have all my stats from from my clients and what they've tried and, and what advice they were given and, you know, level one to 10, what wits end they're at. And, yeah. and this kind of, and it's amazing how much people actually do try. They do try to find solutions. And does your local shelter provide those? If people call and say, I need to give up my dog, do they just say, okay, fine, bring it in. We'll euthanize it which is, they usually say it, or are they the kind of shelter that says, hmm, why? And have you tried this? And and so that's another thing to to maybe find out about your shelter and, and see if they'd be willing and open to providing solutions. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, it has a lot to do with geography sometimes. And, mm -hmm. you know, what, what does your community offer? And what will they do? And what programs do they have? And, you know, that's, that's another way you can go too. is if you know, if you find your community, if that if, a, you know, a, a you know, free bit dog training, or, you know, low cost spay and neuter, you know, that's something else you can kind of try to get the ball rolling in your community if if you think that there's an issue or, you know, animal friendly housing, you know, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, you animal friendly housing. That's a big topic right there. Yeah, yeah. It? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's that goes back to legislation. A lot of it will you having to deal with. Yeah. And that's a big issue, but it's such an important one. Yeah. Definitely. And then when we, you know, dealing you and I, or I'm more north than you are, but if you're dealing with people that are homeless, you know, it's, it's, you know, the idea of living on the street in the winter with your pet is not, 
I mean, it's no fun and not a good thing anywhere. But when when you're talking, you know, horribly cold temperatures, it's not even realistic. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Lots of topics. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Covered a lot of topics here. (laughs) Thank you so much. I feel like we just need to have you back to sort of even cut those topics down and then cut them down. But I'm Oh, I know there's so many issues and, and I mean, you know, what's really amazing is, um, there's so many people that care there, there yeah, really are, there are really care. And that's always what, um, you know, for every, you know, sad, horrible case, you know, when I do my volunteer work and rescue, you know, a lot of times a shelter might contact the rescue and say, oh my gosh, we, you know, we had the most horrible case, you know, we had a dog that someone, an owner, the dog, I think had mange or fleas and the, the owner poured some sort of acid or motor oil on the dog to kill, to kill the, the fleas or something like that. Dog had terrible burns. And, you know, they, they said, we can't keep them in our, you know, county shelter. You know, we're not staff. We don't have vet care. This dog needs emergency help. And I think, you know, we put out the plea for like a foster and help. And, you know, so for that one horrible person that did this, you know, we had 50 people, you know, offering to foster or donate or help, you know, and so it really always, um, impresses me so much how many people are willing to help especially in a a terrible situation it kind of restores your faith in humanity a little bit it does there's a lot of people wanting to help and wanting to be part of the solution and hence this show because it provides people with ways that they can do that that meet their lifestyle and their goals and what they can do because there's just so many different ways to be part of the solution yeah Um, And, you know, I do, (laughs) I tend to get into little, you know, this is, this is a big thing for me because I see the other side. I see the people that are looking for their solutions. They don't want to euthanize. They don't want to surrender. I have all my stats. So, you know, a, a lot of my clients have been told by a professional to surrender or euthanize, and they're just not going to do that. Yeah. And I understand that that people see the the flip side. They see, you know, the dogs that are in the shelter and it's sort of this automatic, oh, well, some horrible person gave up on this dog or some horrible and you should never do that. And a dog is for life. And I fully believe that. I agree with that. But the reality is that we need to figure out whether these people are just in that group of no. They, you know, they don't care. They're just, or whether they're in that group that does want solutions and they, they do want to figure out how to keep their dog and they do want to, to learn more and to, to do everything right. But they're really at, they, they think they've tried, you said it earlier and you said it, you know, they, they think they've tried everything. They, they, they believe they have, they believe they're out of options. And it's not so much that they're frustrated with even their dog or their dog's situation or behavior they're, they, they feel defeated with lack of options. Yes. So we need to start thinking maybe of people a little bit that way too. It's like, yes, it looks like they're horrible people and, and they're giving up, but how can we find out whether they really will take that one more step? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe they just didn't know there was a viable answer for them and, and a solution. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if those come from places like the shelter, 
it would prevent the dog from going in the shelter or even their veterinarian. Veter people ask their veterinarians all sorts of questions. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And and so, you know, if someone is listening to this and they're thinking like, how can I help or what can I do? You know, of course I would say, you know, find out what's going on in your local community. <laughs> But also shelters and rescue groups need all sorts of levels of help. You know, they need people to take pictures. They need people to help write bios, adoption bios for animals. They need people to help post them on adoption sites like Pet Finder and Adopt-A-Pet or, you know, there, there's a, there's many adoption sites or the, the rescue or the shelter social media pages. Um, you know, they need people to help with the accounting, you know, they need people to help with, you know, applying for grants, you know, and of course they need help, you know, driving animals to veterinarian appointments. They need, you know, people to foster, you know, oh my gosh, if anyone would consider fostering, you're literally saving a life by giving an animal. All of that together is saving yeah. a life. It's, it's yeah. And, yeah. Oh, exactly. the number one foster that rescues lack is fosters without another animal. Yeah. If you do not <laughs> yeah. have an animal and you're not ready to have a full-time animal, but you yeah. can foster because that can be just so challenging for rescue organizations to get are those fosters that yes. don't have yes. animals that we need that that for the 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 animals that can't maybe at that point in their life be in a home with because some yes. of these yes yes no absolutely for their own dogs and then this foster and that foster and everything yeah. else and yeah. you can even specifically say you know I um I know people in my community that that they love fostering the the pregnant moms. It's their thing. Mm -hmm. It's yep, their jam. Yep. They just love, and then they they know how to, you know, the puppies and yeah, you yes. know, all that kind of thing and and birthing and all, which is you know, oh, I I'm the yeah. adolescent dog, so but it's so great knowing them and talking to them because they've got their thing that they do. So you can be specific on that, yeah, you know, and, and say I'd like to. The other one I wanted to throw in there is construction workers or handy people, mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes. Yeah, I mean, yes, for for locations of where dogs stay, but also sometimes uh, people will be great fosters and they've been fostering for a long time and then they they just need repairs with their fence. Mm -hmm. You know, they can't take these dogs right now because our fence blew. Well, it's really windy where I live, so maybe that's why, I, you know, but that's just an example, right? Yeah. So if if you can donate, you know, your time to, to fix their fence. You, you just, you never know it, what yeah. they're going to need that would make a difference for one person or one animal. Yes. Yes. And even if you think, well, I travel so much, you know, I can't foster, but if, if you're in town for like one week a month, you can be the vacation foster, you know, for a <laughs> rescue or even that one week, there might be an animal in a shelter that needs to be out, you know, at five o'clock on a Monday. And if you can keep them till Friday, you know, that gives the rescue a few days to scramble and find another place for that animal to go. But there are so many times where, you know, some shelters are like, nope, nope. 
nope, time's up at five o'clock today. And, you know, the, they need some place for that animal to go to at, at five o'clock if they're a foster-based uh, rescue. And so you taking the animal for just a couple of days is is literally, you know, saving a life. And so, you know, people who think like, oh, I have to, I travel too much. You know, you don't have to be the long-term foster. Anything helps. And then that reminds me, gosh, we could go on forever, but there's some rescue. And when you're looking at the organization, if you want to volunteer at, at once, they're run differently. They're all run differently. Yeah. So for example, there's some I know that uh, part of fostering is to take those dogs to adoption events. Mm. Well, some people, those adoption events are commonly on the weekend. And some people, you know, no, my weekends are my busiest. I'm, I'm happy to care for the dog and still foster. And, you know, I might take the dog to my kid's soccer game or whatever I'm doing, but I can't go to an adoption event for four hours. Well, you can be the person that picks up yeah. that dog. Exactly. The adoption event. Exactly. And then you don't have the dog in your home. You don't have yeah. the dog in your life, but you can go pick up that dog, go to the adoption event, have fun at the adoption event and bring back that dog to that home. Yep, absolutely. That's how I ended up with one of my dogs in the past. <laughs> really? That's great. Yes. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll go and I'll watch this dog for three hours. And then at the end of the three hour event, <laughs> he didn't get adopted. He's like, I'm, I'm coming home with you, lady. And I'm like, yeah, Aww. I think you are. So, yeah. But don't, you don't always have to leave with the animal. You know? <laughs> yes, let's not discourage people. It doesn't people mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. You can yeah. Have them for three hours and then leave. <laughs> or even, you know, you can even dog walk for a foster. You know, sometimes yeah. fosters will foster, but they say, you know, I'm at work for eight hours a day. Like you can come and, you know, pick up the dog for an hour and take them for a walk, you know. And if you're a single person, it's a great way to meet people too. There you go. <laughs> There you go. It is. Get those friendly Going to dogs that dog park, walk yeah. around the lake and the next thing you know. Exactly. That's, yeah. Fringe benefits on your volunteering. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, this has been super great. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm sure people are just going to have all sorts of thoughts and inspiration going going through their mind and different things they can do, whether it's on the larger scale or the that, well, nothing small, really nothing small yeah, because it all, yeah. it all, it's all part of the big picture. Yeah. So uh, in the and show notes, we will have links to Mary and to all her articles and websites. And if you have any questions, they can, you know, go there and, and check out what you're, what you're doing. Cause you're always doing something and writing some article and doing something. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's there will be a link on my website that's just watchdogmary.com called Check Your Shelter. And okay. it's a, a page and, a, you know, an article I've written um, that has all this information and what to request and literally what you should write in a request and how to do it. And so if you want to find okay. out more information, what we talked about, just go to watchdogmary.com and click on Check Your Shelter. Oh, that's really great info. That's really good to know. Yeah, that's, yeah, that gets people started and gets them a focus and, and how to start that ball rolling. And, and that's probably the hardest for a lot of people is just getting that ball rolling. So that's fantastic. And that link will be in our show notes. So thank you so much, Mary. Thank and you so much for having me. Well, 
Thank you once again for joining us on Effective Animal Advocacy on All About Animals Radio. Please be sure to check out the other shows on All About Animals Radio, which dive into different topics uh, on different animals all around the world with amazing hosts. Your feedback, suggestions, and questions are always welcome.